Now please remain standing and turn in your Bibles, please, to St. Matthew chapter 6, and we'll read verses 19 to 24, continuing on through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If, therefore, your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, therefore, the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. May God add his richest blessing to the reading of this portion of his holy word. Will you pray with me, please? Our Father, again, we thank you for your word, and we pray that by the power of your spirit that you would speak to us now. We pray that we would see our Lord Jesus Christ, high and lifted up, that we would hear His voice, the voice of the Good Shepherd, and hearing Him, that He would know us and we would know Him and we would follow Him and offer our hearts to Him sincerely and promptly in spite of the inability and sin of the preacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Crushing Idols, Part 2, Avarice. According to the Catholic Dictionary of 1907, the definition of avarice is the inordinate love for riches. Its special malice, broadly speaking, lies in that it makes the getting and keeping of money, possessions, and the like, a purpose in itself to live for. It does not see that these things are valuable only as instruments for the conduct of a rational and harmonious life. Due regard being paid, of course, to the special condition in which one is placed. It goes on to say, that avarice is more to be dreaded in that it often cloaks itself as a virtue or insinuates itself under the pretext of making a decent provision for the future. Insofar as avarice is an incentive to injustice in acquiring and retaining of wealth, it is frequently a grievous sin. Avarice. The inordinate love for riches. 
which makes the getting and keeping of money, possessions, and the like a purpose to live for. In the previous passage, Jesus dealt with the idol of approval. When the desire to be approved by other people controls my life. Now in this passage, Jesus deals with the idol of avarice. When the desire for money and possessions controls my life. Now we might be tempted to think, well I'm off the hook today. He's talking about the sins of rich people, not poor folks like me. No. It's the desire for it. You could be destitute and still be controlled by the desire for money or things. Of course, we're not Roman Catholic, but that statement in the definition of avarice in the Catholic dictionary was especially insightful when it said, it is more to be dreaded in that it often cloaks itself as a virtue or insinuates itself under the pretext of making a decent provision for the future. Scripture does not condemn saving for the future. It commands it. But the sneaky thing about avarice is that it can twist something good into an idol. Now let's look together at the idol of avarice. First in this passage, we see a revealing connection. A revealing connection. Look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now we all know that where there's smoke, there's fire. You see smoke, you know something must be burning. There's a revealing connection. The smoke is connected to the fire and reveals that there is a fire, even if from such a distance that the fire itself is not in plain view. I remember six or eight uh, months ago, I was out in my truck and I saw a lot of smoke and I wondered, where's the smoke coming from? I picked up my children from their activities for the day uh, that summer and we were driving home and I got curious and started trying to follow that fire but uh, it never seemed to get any thicker and I thought the Bible talks about strange fire this is indeed a strange fire there's smoke everywhere but uh, and then it hit me that smoke had come all the way from Canada Jesus says there is a revealing connection between our treasure and our hearts. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The heart is invisible. Those forests up in Canada can't be seen from York County, South Carolina. 
But if you want to know the condition of your heart, which you cannot see, look at where your treasure is. What does our use of money reveal about our hearts? Romans 13, 8 says, Owe no man anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. That's a command. Owe no one anything. I wouldn't push that so far as to say you've got to pay cash on the barrel head for a new house, but it does mean we cannot go around financing everything we have, making minimum payments, living a lifestyle of debt, living outside our means. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant or slave to the lender. Borrowing puts us into a form of slavery to the lender. They have a claim on us, a degree of control over our lives. Jesus is teaching us to be free of all control but God's. But not only broke, Borrowers have avarice. So do investors. Look back at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. We're all invested in something or many things. We all know not to put our eggs, all our eggs, in one basket. We have all kinds of choices. Stocks, bonds, all types of mutual funds, index funds, small caps, mid cap, large cap, international funds, health care sector funds, tech sector funds, and on and on our choices go. But we need to remember that all those baskets, however diverse they may be, ultimately belong in one basket that is called this world. And in this basket, moths and rust and inflation eat away and thieves break in and steal. Again, this is where avarice is such a sneaky and subtle idol. We're supposed to work and save so that we won't be a burden to others. We're commanded to give to the needy which we cannot do if we're the ones asking for charity because we're needy because we never made and saved any money. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. We cannot leave our children and grandchildren an inheritance if we do not save and invest wisely 
But it's hard to live wisely in the world without becoming worldly. But everything in this world corrodes. And in the last day, it'll all burn. Maybe, maybe we're not in debt, nor are we good savers. We just cash and spend. It's not the big ticket purchases, but impulse buys. I won't say who or where, but I heard a child ask his or her parent to take him or her to the Dollar Tree. Parent asked, what do you plan to buy? The child said, silly string. The parent said, no, not silly string. Had to pressure wash the house the last time. You got any silly string? Child responded, well, I'll get something else. Parent said, what? Child said, I don't know, but I have $10. I'll find something. And I, I mean, the parent said, don't ever do that. Don't go to stores because you got money and might find something to spend it on. You make a plan. Don't ever deviate from it. But the point is, avarice can get at anyone. People who are really good with money, people who are terrible with money, people who don't have any money. The inordinate love for riches that makes the getting and keeping of money, possessions, and the like a purpose in itself to live for sneaks up on every single person. A revealing connection. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. A revealing connection. Secondly, in this passage, we see a formative look. A formative look. Look at verse 22. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus here is saying that what we look at forms our character. If we look at light, we will be full of light. If we look at darkness, we'll be full of darkness. What we look at forms who we are. Psalm 115, speaking of the heathen, says, Their idols are gold and silver, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. In other words, they're lifeless. 
Yes, a figure made to look like a, some kind of a man or a creature or some mixture of a man and a creature. It's got eyes, but it can't see. It's got a mouth, but it can't talk. It's got hands, but it can't do anything because there's no life in it. And then it says, those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. They become lifeless, like the lifeless idols they worship. The idol crushes the worshiper. If we're fixated on money, possessions, material, we'll become like it. Cold. Impersonal. In extreme cases, people murder over possessions. In more respectable cases, people run over others to get ahead. Or, in more simple cases, people just care more about their things than other people. Where is your focus? It's either on God or it's on things. We become like what we worship. Apostle Paul says that as we behold the glory of the Lord, we are changed from glory to glory. But we can't behold the glory of the Lord and be changed and become full of light if we're stuck on things. Jesus says that earthly treasures, money and possessions are corrupted by rust, eaten by moths, and stolen by thieves. In other words, they don't last. And if we live for those things, if we worship those things and focus on those things, we will become like them. Corruptible, short-lived, doomed. We will not have eternal life. Just listen to Psalm 49. We sang part of it earlier. He says, I won't read all of it, but Psalmist says, Why should I fear in the days of evil when the iniquity at my heels surrounds me? Those who trust in their wealth and boast in the multitude of their riches, none of them can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their souls is costly and it shall cease forever. That he should continue to live eternally and not see the pit, for he sees wise men die. Likewise, the fool and the senseless person perish and leave their wealth to others. Their inner thought 
is that their houses will last forever. Their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. Nevertheless, man, though in honor, does not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. This is the way of those who were foolish and of their posterity who approved their sayings. Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave far from their dwelling. But God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Do not be afraid when one becomes rich, when the glory of his house is increased. For when he dies, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. Though while he lives, he blesses himself. For men will praise you when you do well for yourself. He shall go to the generation of his fathers. They shall never see light. A man who is in honor yet does not understand is like the beast that perish. How many times and how many stadiums packed with tens of thousands of people across this world did Billy Graham have to remind them that he'd never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. We all know we can't take it with us, but we act like we can. Money, possessions, are doomed. They do not last. They are not eternal. And those who worship those idols become like the idols they worship. Fleeting. Doomed. And lifeless in the highest sense of life. We see a revealing connection, a formative look. And thirdly and finally, we see a plain choice. A plain choice. Look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and mammon. We can't have our cake and eat it too. We cannot have two gods. Jesus says God or mammon. Mammon there is an old word for money or wealth that personifies it as being like a god. The God, mammon, is a taker. You can take and take and take and take. And you can be made rich and the glory of your house increased and you will die and carry nothing away and mammon will take it all. You cannot out-take Mammon, he'll always get you. But the true God is a giver. 
And he alone is a giver. That's why James calls him literally the giving God. Because the true God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he who spared not his own son, but delivered him up freely for us all, how should he not then with him freely give us all things? We have a plain choice between two gods. A taker and a giver. At the end of his treatment of this passage, which was originally a sermon preached in the Metropolitan Tabernacle or uh, the uh, Westminster Chapel in London, and then written down the book, Martin Lloyd Jones did something that I I never heard or seen him do anywhere else. A great preacher of the mid twentieth century. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a very stern individual, at least to hear him speak, he was, I don't know what it was like in private, but in public he was pretty stern. He told a joke. <laughs> and as it went, he said that there was a farmer who came into his home and announced to his wife that the Lord had blessed them that the cow that was expecting gave birth to twin calves. He said he was so, we're so blessed by God, we must give one of these calves to the Lord. His wife said, well, which one? He said, well, let's, let's wait on them to grow up and we'll figure out which to give. We want to give the Lord a full-grown cow. A few days later, the farmer came inside. His wife said, why are you downcast? And he said, I am sorry to say that the Lord's calf has died. But you hadn't picked out which calf was the Lord's yet. And he said, I always knew that the white one would be the Lord's calf, and it is the white one that died. Lloyd Jones said, We laugh, but God forbid that we're laughing at ourselves. Either God or Mammon, not both. God either comes first or we're idolaters. It's a plain choice. Crush mammon. Crush the desire. Crush avarice. Crush it on the cross of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God whom He gave. 
because he is the giving God. Crush mammon before it crushes you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.